All right. So that was, um, I'm sure you guys know this, but I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to say it. That worship experience was the Holy Spirit kind of taking over. And I just think Paula, especially for, you know, when you're expecting things to happen, Abigail, and then suddenly everything's different and you're still there to serve. The, the Lord sees it. And I just felt like he said, thank you for being there to do the thing that actually suddenly got pushed out by the Holy Spirit in many ways. So I've never played a D chord so long in my life. <laughs> I'm sure Abigail's never sat at a, a piano not playing for so long in Paula. It was just a D the whole time. So, Holy Spirit, I pray you just continue to speak in this room. We'd much rather hear you than do what we planned. We would much rather hear you. So, Lord, we thank you for bringing A back and speaking through her in this room. Thank you for letting us come alongside her as she went in. Lord, we pray we just continue to do this. Would you help us just to continue to do this? That this wouldn't be an anomaly. This would be a first step into something new. God, we just, I just see like an eight. Eight means new beginning. I see like an eight. He just stamped it on this room. So, Lord, we just want to agree with you about that. We want to see the next cycle, the next week, the next thing start. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is practically giving your life to Yeshua part three, but don't be afraid. It is about Christmas, okay? So, finding your identity in God. Now, the entire, literally the entire message and stuff just, you know, put the cherry on top or the icing on the cake by reading the last passage in the notes, the whole message was preached during worship, the entire message. I just want to tell you that. But it wasn't laid out in full and put together orderly, precept by precept, line by line. So I'm going to do that for a minute, but I just want you to know there's things that we need to take from the worship and put it here, and there's things we need to take here and put it in the worship, okay? So there's both. He's mixing something together right now. Romans 6, 5 to 6. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Sin is an identity problem. All sin is actually an identity problem. I'm going to lay that out for you right now. Now, everybody has identity issues that they're dealing with, everybody on the planet. God wants us to fully embrace this idea right now, and that's really what we were singing about, and that's what we're going to talk about. Galatians 4.19, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. The old man, our personality that we were born with, it's supposed to die and the life of Christ is supposed to be formed within us. Now, that just sounds like theological mumbo-jumbo to me until I start making it practical. And I look at the things that I'm ashamed of, the things I'm afraid of, the, the way that I want to be seen, the way that I'm afraid I'm seen. God is dealing with all these things in the last days. He's shaking everything that can be shaken. And the most shaky thing in every human being is your identity, what you feel like you mean what you feel like you represent to the world, what you feel like you offer to the world, and what you feel like your life is going to, the sum total of your life is going to be. That's the shakiest thing in a human being's identity or existence, okay? So item one, who is Jesus? Jesus is the light of mankind. He's the literal lamp we see our world rightly through. Without Jesus, you could not rightly interpret the world. And without letting Jesus change the way that you think and the way that you feel, you will not rightly interpret the world, and you'll be a part of the world breaking a perfect garden that God made. God made this place perfect. He so loved the world. Now, that when he said, because he so loved the world, that was after the world had become entirely corrupt, and he flooded it and saved only Noah. He still so loved the world. He so loved the world when he sent Jesus at the time of a Roman occupation wild. I mean, the Roman Empire was wildly sinful by historical accounts. But God so loved the world. He didn't see the world as, as wicked and unsavable, even in Noah's day. And you read the things that the Bible describes about Noah's day, and God still loved the world. God loves this world right now. He loves the world. He loves you. And this is the message that we should be receiving as we think about, okay, what exactly am I supposed to be? Like, if you so love the world, who am I? Who am I? Okay? 
Now, apart from Jesus, we cannot understand who we were made to be. You, it's impossible to know. That's why there's so much dissatisfaction in the world. You can't know who you're supposed to be apart from Jesus because you were literally made by him, for him, and to live only moving and having your being in him. So apart from him, you can't know who you were made to be. It's impossible. Jesus is God and man fully. He's both. He's the intersection between the life that is coming and the life that is passing and the life God intended. Those are three realities. In, all, in him, all these meet and they're reconciled. I'm going to say that one more time. In Jesus, he's the intersection between the life that's coming we call that heaven. But heaven's coming to earth, so don't picture it too wrong. This life is going to transform into the life that's coming. It's going to be pretty normal in many, many ways. And that was what threw the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They wanted something much more dramatic where they could keep their selves intact, keep all the power they had, all the authority they had, everything they had defined their lives as. They were People that have a lot are happy with how they've defined their lives. People that don't have a lot are unhappy with how they define their lives, Right? And so those Pharisees, they had a lot in that system. And they didn't want anybody messing up their identity. So they missed Jesus. You have a lot in this system. Believe it or not, you have a lot. And most of us don't want anybody messing up the thing that we've built. And Jesus is like, if I don't mess it up, you can't be mine. If I don't redefine you, if I don't rebirth you, you cannot be mine. Okay, so we can only understand who we are in the intersection of this reality. The life that's coming, the life that is passing, what we've already built, or he's already built, either way, and the life God intended. Those are different things, right? God intended something in the Garden of Eden that was broken by man. So just like, you know, back to the future, future travel, hypothetical realities, right? If you change the future, you actually change the past. You know, it's like all these loopholes about time change. But the truth is God intended something in the Garden of Eden that we broke And that will always be broken. It will always forever be something different than what God intended. But he will use all of it for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Because he chose love and because he chose you, what you break doesn't break everything for him. But it does change things for him. And so he slayed his son before the foundation of the world knowing we would break it. Does that make sense? But it's not fatalism. It's not like, well, he wanted it that way. He did not want it that way. This is really important for us to understand who we are, okay? John 1, 1 to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, how can we know? I just want to take a break because the Holy Spirit is saying, wait a second, Tom. They don't know what you're talking about. How could we know that God didn't want it this way? What did Jesus say in the Garden of Gethsemane? Is there any other way? Is Jesus God? Yes, he is. So we can know this is, some, this is a choice God made for love, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light of men, okay? So his life is the light that we see by And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light. Now, think about John's identity for a minute. What was John's identity? What was the main question people asked John? Who are you? Did he answer that question? Fully. He answered it fully. But he didn't take an identity upon himself. He put himself in the book of Isaiah. He says, I am a voice in the wilderness. That was actually an Isaiah prophecy about the recoming of Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah. But he said, they'd say, are you Elijah? He'd say, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. Who are you? A voice in the wilderness. John knew who he was, but he didn't put his identity in what man saw of him. Does that make sense? He put his identity in what God saw of him. This is important because you, you need an identity. You're not supposed to be some lumpless you know, ball of gel that God just moves around. That's, that's a flesh version of trying to interpret this. You're supposed to get your identity from God alone, okay? 
So this is John the Baptist. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He, had, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him, speaking of Yeshua. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory, as, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That was the baby lying in the manger. The baby in the manger was the word becoming flesh and beginning in the humblest possible way to dwell among us, not trying to, uh, to establish anything before man, actually having it all and letting it all go to be a baby in the, in the arms in the, of the parents in, in a manger, in a, in a low place, in a very, very low place. Jesus came to solve a human identity crisis. That's what he came to do. Satan deceived man into trying to be something that he wasn't. Remember that? Remember when Satan said, you could be like God. That's what, it was an identity thing. That's what Satan was attacking. Jesus was what Satan invited Adam and Eve to be. God-men. Be all God while you're all men. He was inviting them to be Yeshua. Did it work? Jesus was what Satan invited Adam and Eve to be and became like us. Jesus took on a right identity in humility to solve our arrogant attempt to be God. We're still wrestling with this original sin if we at all are trying to save our lives. Now, you're all doing this. I just want you to know. You're all trying to do this. So we're still wrestling with the original sin if we do this. If we're trying to save our lives, our reputation, our family, our purpose, our power, our narrative, or the kingdom of God. We're all wrestling with this original sin if we're trying to save any of these things, and we are. Does Jesus... Not, is he surprised by that? No, that's why he came. He came because that's, we were born doing that. So we have to be reborn into people that don't do that. That takes coming into the light, not running away from the light. But when we find out that even me just saying, we all do this, you guys are kind of used to, you know, that punch. So you're kind of, okay, we know what he's saying. He's not going to say we're terrible. He's going to say we're good eventually. But I'm not, Right? We really all do this, and Jesus wants us to step into the truth. Yes, we do this. You didn't. Why? Why didn't you? What was inside of you that made you different from birth than me different from birth? What's the answer to that question? The Holy Spirit. He was conceived of the Virgin Mary. He born of the Holy Spirit, you know, right? Conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was died, buried, resurrected. What was different about Jesus from birth than us is he had the Holy Spirit, and he listened to the Spirit the whole time. But the amazing thing is he came to get an entirely lower identity than he had to give us a spirit so that we could come into doing the same things that he does. That's what we're invited into. That's what's in the manger, What's in the manger is a gift of the Spirit from the Father to you because he so loves the world. And he knows the world isn't operating in a correct system right now. It's got a virus. But when we eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, that virus is dealt with. And we start to live in a brand new way, okay? This is what this is talking about. So God's kingdom, it needs no help, none. It it is. God's kingdom is fine. God sent his kingdom to save us from our own identity crisis called darkness. That's what our identity crisis is called in the Bible is darkness. We don't see right. We don't think right. We don't feel right. And we can see as man is given more and more over to himself, darkness is increasing, confusion, not being able to see right. But the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come, okay? Luke eleven twenty. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, and obviously this is Jesus talking, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Did Jesus cast out demons with the finger of God? Yes, he did. The accusation was that he was doing it by Satan in that passage. The kingdom of God came as a baby. It came meek, lowly, externally passive, and internally violent. There was a fire in that manger. That will change the world forever. The world will never be the same again after that baby was laid in that manger. 
It will never be the same again. It's catching. It's been catching for 2,000 years. In that that manger, the kingdom of God came as a baby, confident of God, not of self. Confident of God, not of self. In our quest to save the meaning of our lives, including our family, our legacy, where we hide our pride, that's where we hide it. You know, when when we're like, okay, I know I'm going to die to myself, but for the sake of those entrusted to me, I've got to take control. That's the lie right there. They were entrusted to us, or whatever has been entrusted to us, was entrusted to us to lay it back at his feet. That's your crown. That's your kingdom. That's your dominion. It was entrusted to you to give it back to God, to give it back to you, to give it back to God, to live as one forever with him. This is what's broken right now. And we hide our pride behind the idea that, well, there's some things I got to do, otherwise it all falls apart, and I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for someone else. That's a lie, okay? John 3, 3 to 5. Oh, sorry. In our quest to save the meaning of our lives, we entirely miss the kingdom. It's only in receiving a new identity that we get new eyes to behold our real lives. Okay, when we see Jesus, if you were in this room and somebody needed help with something, let's say, that we'd attribute to Jesus doing, like they were like, I don't have any food, and Jesus has a can of green beans. And we're like, Jesus, are you going to be the one in the room to multiply the food? Wouldn't we kind of ask him before we took it upon ourselves to do it? We'd be like, we know you can do it. Right? Okay? So it's only in receiving a new identity that we get new eyes to behold our real lives. So if Jesus was standing right here, most of us wouldn't try to do anything. We'd be looking at him. (laughs) What are we doing? And if he said to me to multiply the beans, I would certainly try. Right? But if he was multiplying the beans, I'd let Jesus do it. You just have to know that he's in the room. If he's in the room, he will do it. He'll tell who to do it, when to do it, why to do it, how to do it. Maybe not why, but how to do it and when to do it, okay? So John 3, 3 to 5, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is our problem, is that we don't see Jesus with us when we're under pressure, when we're in stress, when we're in hard situations, when things aren't working out right, when we're just angry. We don't see Jesus right there with us. But if we did, we'd act way different. And that's all he's saying is get eyes to see so that you can act in what's true, because I'm with you. He's with us. The truth is, where two or three are gathered, he's there, right? The, the, the Psalm 139 reality, I can't go to the highest place, the lowest place, east, west, and not be with him where he's at. I could go to hell, and he's still there. He made it. It's for him. He made everything. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus could not let go of the knowledge he had obtained to that point to hear what Jesus was saying. Can you let go of the things that you think you know to hear Jesus? You need to. He's unveiling things right now. He's actually opening up things so we can see inside of them, and they're disrupting our assumptions. And he's like, your assumption was wrong. I was never wrong. If you see something, you're like, I thought God said it was, you thought wrong. God didn't say it wrong, okay? If we know who Jesus is, we can know who we are. If we don't know who we are, we cannot know Jesus, so this is the problem with our identity crisis. We could be like, I just, I'll just get to know Jesus and I'll be fine. But you can't really get to know Jesus unless your heart is open to all of your needs so that he can come be king of all the things that you're trying to be king of. If you don't know who you are, you can't know who he is. So that's why we come to the light. Now, those who don't want their deeds exposed, they don't come to the light. Those who want their deeds exposed, that's what Steph read to us just before I started talking. Those who want to see all the... All the ways I don't make you king of my life, I want to come to that light. I want you to tell me all the ways I don't make you king of my life. All the ways I get offended when things don't work the way I think they're going to or should or could have. Jesus is found only in the truth of our weakness, vulnerability. Where we feel shame, that's where he comes. He's light in darkness. So if he's the light in the darkness, if you're brighter than his light, are you going to see his light? And he won't make you believe that you're not. He won't make you believe that you're less loving than he is. And if he's waiting to come heal Lazarus and you're there like, hey, Lazarus needs a lot of help. 
You're not more loving than Jesus is about Lazarus, right? That's just a rough example. You're not more loving about Jesus about your money, your family, whatever it needs doing in the earth. You're not more loving than Jesus is. So if you think, I have a better idea than waiting on the Lord, you actually think you're shining brighter than he is, and you can't see that light. His light comes to darkness. It's seen in darkness by us. He's fine. He's bright. He's brighter than anything we could imagine. That won't change because of what we see. But he's given us authority over what we believe. And that belief, it becomes our sight if we're willing to let it. Okay? Does that make sense? So Jesus is found only in the truth of our weakness or our vulnerability. It's those places that we're ashamed of who we are, that we think we maybe aren't right. Jesus loves you. He loves you, and he'll wait for you in that truth. He doesn't need you to change to see him. He needs you to change your mind, though about your brightness, your worth, your value. You have to be dust, and he has to be God if you want to really see him, okay? That's what you were made to be. So, Song of Solomon 1, 5 to 7. This is not negative. This is super light and positive, okay? This takes all of the weight off of you to have to change. I'm dark but lovely, says the Shulamite. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem. Now, it's if you could know how crazy it is, this message in the worship this morning, Abraham literally picked Daughters of Jerusalem for one of the songs that we didn't sing. All of this he gave to me, and then all of it, the Holy Spirit poured out in this room. I mean, for my reality, it started with worship practice earlier today where I just sang Daughters of Jerusalem with, with Abe, and she had no idea this was here. Song of Songs has come up like seven times this morning in worship. He's trying to say something to us. You're dark, but you're lovely. Like, don't be ashamed that you're dark. Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to act like you're not dark. Know that you're lovely, and he saw you were dark before you did. He so loved the world, he sent his son slain before the foundation of the world. There's nothing that we've done that surprises him. He's just wanting us to come into the light, okay? That's why he came. So weak, so lowly, so meek. He's experienced everything that you've experienced. He's been tempted in every way. He's been tempted. That means he's been tempted to every shame you feel. Every shame you feel. He knows. He knows what it feels like. He just didn't let it make his decisions. Okay? I am dark but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not look upon me because I'm dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keepers of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, O you whom I love, Jesus, tell us where you feed your flock. Where do people grow? Where do people grow? Do you know? You should. Where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks or companions? This is the, this is the light bulb moment for the Shulamite where she's like, I'm dark but lovely. I feel it. I don't want anybody to see me. Why? Why am I feeling this way? Why should I veil myself? It's you. It's your glory that we all care about, right? It's his glory we all care about. Why do we feel so ashamed? If it's his glory we all care about, oh, because it's actually not his glory we all care about. There's something, there's some subroutine going on secretly in here where I care about my glory. And I know it when I see my shame. Our pride hides our shame, okay? So we're like, but I want to get to the place where I really do only care about your glory, and I'll come just as I am. Because you deserve worshipers. That's what happened on Palm Sunday. It was a reaction. But there's going to be a prophetic decision to do that outside of shame. Those in the natural see weakness as shameful. Those in the spirit see a king in the manger. In the story of Jesus being born, who is the prideful and arrogant that didn't see a king in the manger? Herod. He's like, tell me the names of all those children under two. Let's get them. He didn't see a king. He thought he thought he could be a king. He's not a king right now. Let's kill him while he's not a king. But the wise men saw a king in that manger. They brought expensive gifts. But you know what's funny about that? I was, I was actually, I was taking a minute this morning with the Lord. And he said, what happened to the frankincense, the gold, and the myrrh? He said, did Joseph and Mary, did they take it to Egypt? Did they carry it back? Did I carry it around with me? He's like, did I, you know, give it to Judas? Did Judas carry my gold, frankincense, and myrrh around with me? He said, I could have paid for a ton with that. What happened to it? He didn't put any of his identity in men telling him he was a king. You never hear about the gold, frankly. That was valuable stuff in those days. 
But you never hear about it again. That was what the earth gave the king. But the king had come as a gift to the earth, right? That hasn't changed. He was just as much God in that manger as he is now. He was just as much a king in that manger as he is now. He was just as much a man now at the right hand of the father as he was as a, a baby in that manger. So Misty Edwards sings a song, which I love. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. He's not a broken man on a cross. He didn't stay in the grave, and he's not staying in heaven forever. But he is the same king in the manger as he is on the throne. So don't lose sight of the truth of the meekness of this king. He does things totally different than we do. We see God's magnificence and glory different than God does if we see it in the flesh. If we think God's magnificence is that he's stronger than everyone else, we see it like men do. But if we see God's magnificence that he loves so much and is so humble and patient and meek, then we see it like he does. He's not like us. He's not like us at all. He does not respect earthly strength. He doesn't respect it at all. And he doesn't want us ascribing that to him when we worship him for his strength. He wants us to ascribe to him what he likes about himself, which is everything that's true. And he laid all of his strength in a manger. And by all of it, I mean he's infinite. That was, you know, who could understand these things? God is no respecter of persons. You have to see the king in the manger. If you don't, you really don't know who you are, who, who God is. So if you're trying to be like Jesus, you got to be born again. you got to be in your own manger as an adult. That's what he's trying to tell Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you're coming to me as a teacher of Israel, but you don't know anything. <laughs> Humble yourself, man. Be a baby. Let me tell you something you don't know. Let me tell you like you never heard it before. He's saying that to us. Let me tell you like you never heard it before, who you are. Let it go, who you thought you were. Let it go. Let me tell you who I think you're going to be and who you are right now. Because you're lovely to me, as he would say. You're lovely to me. Matthew 2, 1 to, 2, 1 to 12. Oh, 1 to 2. I, obviously, I had to make the note shorter, so I got rid of 10 verses here. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, he, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Those wise men saw a king in that manger. Jesus was no less God. I just went through all this. If the spirit of God is in you, the kingdom is in you. Because Jesus, he just simply is. I, gotta, I guess i got to read this because I didn't go over it well. Jesus was no less God or king, for that matter, in the manger and is no less man at the right hand of the Father. He is. He just simply is waiting for the maturing of a harvest of those that see and those that don't, wheat and tares. He's just waiting to see those who will see that his strength has nothing to do with what we see as strength. If the Spirit of God is in you, the kingdom is in you. The kingdom is the leadership or the government of the Spirit. So if we're like, we just want that kingdom to come, he'd be like, I want the same thing. <laughs> He's looking at us. I want the same thing. Yes. I want you to get eyes to see that the kingdom's not the way you're picturing it. It's way different. It's going to always be humble. It's going to always be meek. It's going to always be lowly. Always. He likes it that way. You like it that way. You don't want a strong, manipulative, maneuvering, domineering king. I mean, you just don't, right? He doesn't either. <laughs> That's great news. He doesn't either. But we keep picking them if they're going to help us. And this is Israel's problem. We just keep picking something other than God, thinking that God is pleased with strength. But he's not. So your identity is keeping the kingdom back if you refuse to let go of your personality or it's bringing it forward if the old you is dying and a new one is coming. Because it's as you see it that you become it, that you manifest it, that it changes the earth. It's coming from inside of you, not outside of you. Okay? Matthew 21, 43 to 44. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it do you see this? The kingdom of God, it bears fruit. What else bears fruit? Us, because of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God bears fruit. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. This, this means the kingdom of God is actually the leadership of the Spirit. That's what it is. It's, I mean, that's, it's just kind of common sense. Like, it's the government of God, and the government of God is extended by the sevenfold Spirit sent out into the earth. 
It's when we let the Spirit of God become our personality, our identity, that the kingdom of God manifests. That's the point. But that's, there's a lot in that sentence. There's a lot of you that has to actually bow the knee and confess with the tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord and you were never supposed to be. And that all the things you think you've been building all your life, this is what Paul said. I forget what's behind me, and I run my race because I haven't attained it yet. And all the things I was amazing at, I, those were my weaknesses. Those were my hindrances because I didn't see God right. I didn't understand God wasn't looking for me to build him a kingdom on the earth and kill all the people that I thought were negative towards it. That he actually wanted to come and turn me around. I was kicking against the goats. I was kicking against the actual way it works. And so are we in many ways. And where we're kicking against it, that's where we feel frustrated. That's where the frustration comes from. And that's what he said to Paul. It's hard to do that. Okay, so uh, nation bearing fruits from it. And whoever falls on this stone, speaking of Jesus, will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now, when he was asked, this is Luke 17, 20 to 22, by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom is within you. Then he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see. Do you see how it's all connected to seeing? It's all connected to seeing. Did the Magi see the kingdom of God come to that manger? Yes, they were some of the only people that did. Do we see the kingdom of God come in the death of ourselves? Mostly not. But we, will, we could. We should. That's where we would see it. But if we're like, we just need the kingdom to come, we wouldn't recognize every day that we turn some part over of ourselves to him, it does. And you know this by the fruit of your lives. You know this because your life changes when you give the leadership of your life to the Holy Spirit. Things actually change around that too. And he's always made a way. He's always made a way. No matter how much you've worried about the same thing for 20 or 30 years, it's never been the thing that undid you. And it never will be, honestly. What will undo you, if anything does, is you. You. But he's, he's patient. He's merciful. He doesn't want that to happen. Nor will they say, see here, see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. This is practical. Your ministry, and I don't mean like you wear the collar, what you do for God, it means nothing without this, without the kingdom coming through you. Your job, it means nothing without this. Your role, your position, your relationships are literally pain and failure without this kingdom coming through you being what defines you. If this kingdom coming through you doesn't define you, everything you do is counter to a value system that is coming to take over everything. And it is, it's literally coming right now. Matthew 6, 27 to 34. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? That stature is talking about identity. Which of you, by worrying, can make your life more respectable? No one. Not, not, not one bit by worrying can you do that, okay? Which of you? So why do you worry about clothing? Clothing is an identity issue. Do you know that? It's not just a covering. It, it, it says something to the world about who we think we are. It says, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? He's not saying don't care about clothing. He's saying God cares more about it than you do. God actually wants to reflect you to the world in a way you don't even understand. You mean something that you don't know yet. And he takes good care of even the grass. So if you'll trust him in this, he'll take good care of you. Your flesh says, I'm, gonna, you know, I'm not going to buy anything that's good clothing for me because what God wants is you know, like an austere life. He's saying, don't worry about all these things. But that's not at all what he's saying. What he's saying is, you don't clothe yourself well enough. Please, let me do it. Let me do it. Therefore, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your Father in heaven knows that you need all these things. He actually wants to feed you better, give you something better to drink, and clothe you better. Not worse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. These worries are about identity or stature. They aren't real or practical. Drive downtown and look at the homeless population. 
they're still clothed. They're still eating or they wouldn't be there. There's still a possibility and a promise of a kingdom manifesting. They're still beautiful to God. They're lovely. But he takes care of sparrows. Nothing dies without his permission. There's coming a moment in time where people will long to die and they won't be able to. He's sovereign. All of our worries are, they're not real. Unless they are seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, which doesn't mean building him a kingdom. It means starting to see our real condition. What we were made to be, which is needy which is weak, to come into the light, to do exactly what Vince did right here, is a prophetic example for us all. God is merciful. He's shouting this through the heavens right now. He's shouting this over Israel right now. He's shouting this over IHOP KC right now. He's shouting this over his church right now. He's shouting it over LightHop. You don't need to be anything but what I made you to be. Come to me. Just come to me. That's it. Don't make it harder than it really is. I know who you are. I know who you want to be. I know that you're ashamed that you're not the person you want to be. But he's like, you're not even right about who that is. You're so much more than you could ask or imagine if you would just come sit at my feet. Let me take the burden off of you of trying to be a good person or a good Christian, a good dad, a good worker, good whatever you think it was that you're supposed to be good at. Just come. Let me take you from today because you got a billion todays ahead of you. And every single day I'm going to come and take you from today to the next day. Don't worry about all those next days. Let me just come and take you from the, this day to the next day. All those ones behind you, forget about them. Count them as loss. Press on to the upward call of Christ. This is what the Bible says. This is what I say. This is what the Bible says over and over and over. Enjoy today. That doesn't mean eat, drink, be merry because tomorrow we die. That's not enjoyment. Anybody who's tried in the flesh to enjoy today has found themselves addicted and miserable. Enjoy the spirit of God today. He loves you. He likes you. He made you. You were his idea. He's got a better future plan for you than you do. The one you're trying to save is less than. The future you're trying to save for your kids, it's less than the one he would save. The future you think for this church, it's less than what he would do. Israel, what they're trying to save, it's less than what he wants to do. We know that we've been studying it on Monday nights. It's less than. Does that mean he wants them to die and be in pain? That's the false dichotomy that Satan sets up. Either you're God or you're nothing. That's how Satan feels. But Jesus is like, if you're mine, you're exactly who you're supposed to be. You're never going to be nothing. You're never going to be nothing. It's an identity issue. Matthew 5, 3. God blesses those who see this, what I'm saying. He provides for those who even deny him. God blesses those who see who they really are. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's everything I just preached in the last 30 minutes in one verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you want to get saved, you've got to see who you really are. And who you really are is desperately, woefully in need of a Savior, and that's great news because you got one. And he's laying in a manger on that Christmas morning, you know, we all... Everybody argues about when it happened, but it happened. It happened, okay? Our shame for our weakness is literally breaking the world. We've got to go back to page two of the notes real fast. I'm almost done. I'm sorry, page three of the notes. I I skipped reading something, and God said, come back to it. Your identity is keeping this kingdom back, refusing to let go of your personality or bringing it forward, the old you dying and the new one coming, and causing pain on the earth or helping to alleviate it. If you keep the kingdom back, since you're the only ones that the Bible says has the kingdom inside of you, since the kingdom is the leadership of the Holy Spirit, if you keep the kingdom back, you are responsible for the pain. Because the kingdom's only come in one way. It's coming through you. So if your identity is blocking out Jesus' identity, and you're ashamed is blocking out what he's actually pretty pleased with, and your fear of showing him what's really inside is like, nothing's going to grow if it doesn't come to the light. Like, you got the seeds, yes, but you got to let the light shine in those seeds or they're not going to grow. you got to come to the light just as you are. 
so that what is put inside of you can grow, right? If you're hiding in a shame like Adam and Eve, when they, got, when, they, when they did that sin, when they changed their identity at Satan's prompting, the very first thing they did was try to hide it. And God is like, where are you? Take that thing off. I got something else for you to wear. It was the, the animal coverings were better than the fig leaves. You know, this, this reality is literally over and over and over and over and over again in the Bible. It's just, it's really simple. It's just, we live in a convoluted time where identity is clearly being attacked. Do you see that? Satan is attacking identity like crazy right now. Who are you? Who are you supposed to be? Who do you need to be? Who should you be? All that's irrelevant. Where are you, Lord? Wherever you are, that's where I want to sit. Wherever the truth is, I want to meet you in it. Oh, the truth is, I mess up all kinds of things. Let's start talking about this together. Let's stop acting like I should grip my teeth and be better at it. Let's just look at what you want to do with me right now as I am. This is how we all started knowing Jesus. Believe it or not, this is the only way you can start. You can only bring you to him. It's just somewhere along the way we get confused and we start thinking, I'm going to bring him something better because I'm tired of waiting for him to change me. And that means I shine brighter than he does. But he likes the time it takes for you to change. He likes process for whatever reason. He's decided that flesh is wrong and the spirit is right. And he likes process. Okay? Jesus is literally the light we grow in. Item A of, uh, paragraph A of item two, uncovering our identity. God sent him because he loved the world. God loves you. He loves your family. He loves your current role, position, ministry, lack, plenty. He loves you, not your circumstances. He loves you right where you are right now. And you might hate your circumstances. And if you hate your circumstances, you will miss the glory of the kingdom inside of you. You can't let what Satan says about your circumstances dictate to you what you think about God or you, either one. The world is all passing or fading. If you're hoping for better circumstances, you will miss the kingdom already in you. You should want the kingdom to manifest in we, we not just you, me. We should, believe me, I'm preaching to me, just in case you don't know. If you've been in prayer meetings this week, you know I'm preaching to me, but if you haven't been in the same prayer meetings as me, you don't know that. There's a lot I'm worried about. We should want the kingdom to manifest in our current circumstances like Jesus being born in that manger. Jesus was not ashamed of those circumstances. He didn't even know to be. He was literally a baby. He wasn't like an omnipotent baby who like moves stuff like you know, baby Yoda. He's a baby. He's a baby that needed parents. And he was okay with that. He's God. Come down. He took low circumstances on purpose. You can too. We should want the kingdom to manifest in our current circumstances. When we let circumstances define who we are, not just, not just you individually, but humanity, your family, your church, if you let circumstances define who we are, we reject the kingdom of God. When we let circumstances define who we are, we reject the kingdom of God. It sounds like this. I'm bad at this, and that's why I'm failing. They're bad at this, and that's why I'm suffering. I'm unlovely, and that's why I'm lonely. They're unlovely, and that's why they're lonely. We say this about people all the time. Well, they got what they deserve. Let's hope none of us get what we deserve. I sin, and that's why this is happening to me. They sin, and that's why this is happening to me. <laughs> Two different statements. I sin, that's why this is happening to me. Not correct. They sinned, and that's why this is happening to me. Also not correct. David sinned a lot, and when his sin was found out, he ran into God. He literally ran into God. He wasn't ashamed. He didn't even see himself as sinning against people. He you know, said, I sinned against God. And I think there were some people that were like, what? And that would have helped them to hear what he was saying. Satan doesn't care who you blame as long as you blame a human. If you're blaming a human, you're stopping the kingdom of God from manifesting in your own circumstances right now. Right now. And I can tell you, I know it. We're all blaming some humans. Jesus' circumstances never defined him. He was confident in who he was, the Son of God. He knew. He knew who he was. He knew it by faith, and he grew in that faith until the point of the Last Supper. Okay? John 3, 13, 1-6. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. That's what happens when you know who you are, you can afford to serve. When you know the power differential between you and people that don't have the kingdom manifesting in them, you find humility. You can afford to be kind. You can afford to be patient. You can afford to be lowly when you know who you are and whose you are. And Jesus knew it, right? That's what it says. This is his response to knowing he's the son of God as he gets down on his knees and washes people's feet. This is how you know you have an identity problem when you get tired of serving all these people. That's what happened in Acts 6. We're tired of serving these tables. We're going to give ourselves to the reading of the word and the prayer. Let somebody else get the lowly identity of serving all these widows. And the whole church broke, literally scattered to the four winds. We have to be a people who know who we are in the overflow of confidence and satisfaction, the superior pleasure of being loved by God, have so much to just give without need of reciprocation at all. No need to get anything back. And that's what he's saying to them. He actually says to them, if you don't do this, you can't be mine. You have to let me give to you something you can't give back to me right now. We have to receive from Jesus this way. He wants to wash your feet. He does not want to wash your whole body. He is not disappointed with all of your sin. He's dealing with the sin right now where you're walking. He just wants you to humble yourself so you'll say, hey, you got this process. It is making me clean. But I want to be more than I am for you. And he says, you have an identity problem because you think you're God and not me. You think you're shining brighter in your desire than I am? You can't shine brighter than him. You can't. His way is perfect. He rose from the supper table, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Peter had an identity problem. You? Do you know who I am? And Jesus would say, do you know who I am, buddy? You want to die with me? This is it. Peter didn't understand that. Peter thought, no, I'm going to go with you and be the great hero of the faith with Jesus. We're going to die together. Be great. And Jesus is saying, no, you won't. Because <laughs> you can't die to your identity right now. And let me wash your feet. You, you don't know who you are and you don't know who I am. Are we doing this right now? Are there some problems that we think they're kind of ours to take care of? Are there some issues in our personality that we're like, I got to deal with this? There are. But we can just be honest about that, too. Start where you want to start, Jesus. What, what are we changing today? First of all, i got to feel loved by you. I, gotta, I, I don't know that I connect with this reality that you so loved me that you sent your son, that you found me at my worst. You like me more now than you did when you first found me because you've changed something inside of me already. Why do I want to interrupt that process? Well, it's because Martha and Mary, you know. Martha didn't like the idea of Mary just sitting there, and Mary didn't find anything wrong with just sitting there and waiting for him to tell her what to do. Jesus was shining a different kingdom because he lived in a different definition of greatness for mankind and God. Mankind's definition of greatness for God is wrong. Therefore, our definition of greatness of man for man is wrong. If our definition of greatness for God is wrong, we'll redefine greatness for man in a wrong way that's antichrist. Isaiah 55, 6 to 11, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Who does that apply to? All people. And the righteous man, his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as high as the heavens, or as, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth bud that may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish what I please. Do you see what he's saying? Your righteousness is never going to be because you grit your teeth and try to grow something. I spoke it. I'm not going to share the glory of that word with anyone else. That word's my son. That word came and lived in a manger. 
He accomplished all of the things I gave for him to do. He said, it's finished. It's finished. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. You can only see it and come to the light. You can come to the light. But the people that operate in darkness, they hate the light. They don't want their shame to be seen. They don't want their lack to be seen. They want to seem like Jesus before they are. Before they are. John 3, 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Abe, you want to come back up? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. That's believing that he is the rescue, all of it fully that he is the light, that you got to come to it, believing all these things. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. They love their own glory, is what that means. They love their own narrative, that I overcame. But we will only overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. Right? Our testimony becomes his testimony. If you're in Christ, it's his testimony. He's the only one that's going to get the glory. The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they've been done in God. If we want to see the kingdom of God manifest on earth, we have to come to Jesus for our new identity, completely forsaking, trying to save our lives, our meaning, our role, our ministry, our family. We have to find Jesus in the manger. Stand with me if you will. He's not a baby in the manger anymore. He's literally not a broken man on the cross anymore. But he walked through those things in humility. And you got to follow him in that. He won't leave you in the manger but you got to find him there. He'll only take and resurrect things that die. It's only the seeds that go into the ground that break open and become something. Right now, he's breaking things open. It's painful as he shows us who we really are. It really is painful. He knows that. But there's grace. There's more grace. In the shaking of all things, Peter prophesied more grace to come. If you want that grace, you got to let go of the narrative that you don't need it. If you want the grace, you got to let go of the narrative for why you don't need it. Do you know what I mean? you got to let go of the reasons for why you are who you are. you got to let go of the false story that you're going to do something in your own strength to fix that thing. He's been saying it to me all week. All week. Because I've tried to fix some things over time, and I've had it work just a little bit. And he says, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And it didn't work long term because you're right back in the thing. So if you want the grace that's going to overcome, let's just raise our hands to him. Holy Spirit, we'd rather have a story where you get the glory. We'd rather have a life, Lord, that shines forever than one that shines for a month or a season. God, would you pour out grace on our hearts right now? Just a grace to open up. I just see like rain coming down and a flower just budding and opening up. God, we just want grace to open up, to just be who we're supposed to be. Everything you made is good, God. Just tell him, you made me good, God. You made me good. It's me that's messed it up. Get me out of the way. God, you made me good. It's me that's kind of messed it up. Even in my success, I kind of messed it up. Get me out of the way and take me from right here. In Jesus' name, God, pour out grace right now. Just change the way we think about our life story. From today on, it's a new day. It's an aid. It's a new beginning. God, release a new beginning. Help us just, just let go of that, that, oh, it's so heavy, dragging that thing around, God. We just let it go. Just let go. All the stuff you've been trying to make sense of, all the stuff you've been like, it's going to work out in the end. It has worked out. It's worked out. Let it go. 